Welcome to Buffeting, the podcast where my wife Cass Ew. and I share our conversations on investing with you as we try to keep compounding capital so I don't have to go back to being a carpenter. And I don't have to go back working with real estate agents. <laughs> we hope you find it informative and entertaining. But we are not your financial advisors and nothing we say should take as investment advice. As always, do your own research, which is more fun. And now without further ado, on to the episode. We are like cavemen with stone tools <laughs> over here, people. And anything that you think is likely to happen, but the market thinks is not likely to happen, that's an edge and that's something that you need to, to work with. Drinking your Coke, eating your peanut brittle, getting your buffing on. I literally had Coke and peanut brittle, didn't I? <laughs> I was, I was like, do. maybe it'll help. Let's make this next, however long this one's going to go for, talking about our story of mm-hmm. what we did um, last March when the virus hit. Because that's kind of like, that is the very beginning of our investing together. Yeah. And I feel like me coming on board with you, finally, it's it has changed the way you invest. And also having like the female male yeah. thing coming into it. I don't know. I'm very on board with Jen Ross here in the way that, you know, she's a she's a shorter and she worked in a firm of females who were shorters. Yeah, yeah. It is kind of my bias as well. I don't know if that's the female approach. When you say can, when, when you say you're biased, what do you mean? Like I'm I'm negatively biased towards everything we look at. You know, if like I look at online fashion retailers and like candle companies and yeah. beauty companies. And as a female, like you'd think that I'd look at those and, and just get seduced by the business. Hmm. You know, you, you just kind of, but I look at it and I look at their financials and I think about their future prospects and the moat that they have. And I'm always on the negative slant. I'm yeah. like, how on earth do they have something unique here? Um, yeah. when we, Whenever we look at anything, I'm kind of like, let's short it. Aren't I? <laughs> which which would have worked out great if last you know for the last year probably you know, that would have been you know a bad strategy. But even if you were correct, mm. but that's the thing about investing is you can be correct, but it might take three or four years for you to be proven proven right. Mm. Um, and we're fortunate in that in what we did in the last March, um, it was the one of the only times I'd ever heard about where you could take a short position against something, and your the time frame was pretty clear. Um, but that's jumping ahead a little bit, I think. I think I think we should just yeah yeah. I think Let's we get should, back to the start. Yeah. So so what happened was is so I'd already been investing with our large chunk of capital that we got from selling our house for about three years. Um, hadn't done that great. Is that the start start? I guess that's the <clears> investing <throat> start. Yeah. That that that's the start of the that part of our life where we were taking it more and more seriously. Yeah. You know, I guess our our backgrounds just to go over this quickly. Because, um, you know, like we've come from absolutely nothing. You know, yeah. you were a carpenter apprentice. I was in real estate doing my certificate, like admin real estate. You know, we had a negative NAV. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, negative we're... NTA. <laughs> um, negative book value. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, we ground through, kind of churned through, got ourselves to like net level zero. Yep. And then from there, bought a house, renovated it, sold it, had a little pool of capital, 
And during that time, you'd been reading about investing. You'd read probably a hundred books. I probably invested about thirty grand at that point, and was starting to get used to, or starting to feel pretty comfortable about, you know, like my abilities to handle ups and downs, to understand businesses and that kind of thing. And I think I'd made about fifteen percent, or I think it was seventeen percent per year for the first three years before we sold the house. Yeah, with like you a know, tiny amount. Tiny yeah. amount. So like, okay, all you know. All signals point to point to yes, and I feel like we both felt like I was the right kind of person, like personality wise, to suit yeah. suited to it, mm-hmm. which is a big part of it because th- right. there are I didn't certain delve into that. That's a massive part of it. There are certain personality traits. Um, you know, are are you emotionally stable? You know, do you get upset when you feel like you've been you've lost money? Do, does it really ruin it for you, or are you able to take the loss and move on? Mm. Because if you think you're going to be an investor and you're never going to lose money, then <laughs> you know it happens. It's happen. It happens to everyone. It happens to the best of us, and then that's part of taking risk. And that's why you don't put all your eggs in one basket, and you only just ever have, you know. Yeah. And if the thought of like spread. waking up tomorrow morning and your portfolio is has halved in value, right? If that will devastate you, don't don't do investing. Don't do it. <laughs> like yeah, you need to get your emotions right first. Yeah. That's crucial. Otherwise, you just will not stick it out the long term. And it is a long term thing. Definitely. Definitely. So we, we sold our house. Um, you know, I was very passionate about it. And then I started doing screens and I started, you know, really trying trying my guts out, basically. I was only working, I think I was only working four days a week. So I think I was committing some more time to it. I was doing Fridays and Saturdays, mm-hmm. getting, my, getting my little study, having my whiteboard. You know, I was writing everything down and... Drinking your Coke, eating your peanut brittle, getting your buffing on. I literally had Coke and peanut brittle, didn't I? <laughs> you did. I was, you I was still like, do. Maybe it'll help. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> who knows? But... Same um, fuel. Same fuel. Same output, hopefully. <laughs> oh, gosh. But yeah, it, it didn't go that great. It didn't go great that great. It went, you know, it was adequate. I think by the time the start of 2020 happened... Which we compounded about seven percent per year. Uh, I think the market had done about twelve, so we we're underperforming. But over a three-year period of time is not long enough to tell if you're doing really well or not. In my opinion, and you opinion. had just started learning. Yeah, of course. You're like you just jumped headfirst into it. You learnt with real money, and I think that's crucial for people because you learn really big lessons at the start. Mm. And if you're doing that with a smaller pool of capital, then you learn the same lessons. It's just a reduced loss. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If, if you think that you're going to be able to go from, you know, making money in a share market game to making money with a big, a big slice of your net worth. And it's, it's not going to be like that because there's such responsibility knowing that if your capital gets lost, you, you, you don't have any more. You have to you know go to back to work or something like it's very, it can be very serious and daunting. So you have to have that approach to it. Yeah. It's like Buffett's first rule. Don't lose money. Buffett's second rule. <clears throat> don't forget rule one. But we think people misinterpret that that statement a little bit, right? He's not mm. saying don't ever lose any money. He's saying don't lose all your money. You know, yes. you're going to have to take a punt at stuff and you're going to have losses. That's okay. Learn how to emotionally deal with that. Yeah. But losing all your capital means that you've lost all your opportunity. Yeah. So, you've got no more choices. You're going to go back to working at McDonald's. <laughs> yeah. So be smart about it. So we've done we've done okay, and I think I think probably I've been a little bit too conservative. So I'd I'd taken a number of big positions still, but they'd been in things that didn't have that same 
potential to grow. So I, I'd more gone for things that were your typical value investors stuff, you know, businesses that weren't doing well, that had some hard assets behind them. And that kind of gave, gave me a feeling of security. Mm. But really, I've learned that there's much more money to be made in businesses that are improving and growing and, you know, good businesses as Buffett talks about. So we're doing okay. Pretty happy with, you know, 6 or 7%, whatever it was per, per year. Um, I hadn't been taking what I thought was much risk. So that I was, was quite content with that. And then January comes along, 2020. And I just remember sitting here one morning and I opened up an article in the Financial Times and there was an article about some some virus in Wuhan that was that was spreading and was causing, you know, a lot of fatalities and stuff. I think they'd only had about 3,300 cases or something at that point. It was yeah. tiny. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. hadn't even built the hospital or anything, which they did in a week. But, um, yeah, this is the very beginning, the first kind of little news snippet about this virus that you picked up on that no, no one was talking about. And I kind of had in my mind that pandemics were a big risk to be aware of. Um, I'd read somewhere about the the flu. Well, we watched the, Bill the, Gates TED talk, and we were already kind of aware of yeah the future risks for something to potentially happen. So I started digging into that because we were about eighty percent invested at that point. So we had our stock, which means anybody in case listening, it means that of all the money that you have to invest, eighty percent of all that money was invested in the share market, and twenty percent was in cash. So if if we were going into a pandemic of some sort. We were very exposed to that risk. So the the next month, so all through January and the start of February, was just us, both of us. Both of us were convinced that this this was a, the biggest risk that had ever happened in the last five years of us investing. Yeah. In terms of one big thing that could disrupt every business, every industry, every country. And we've got messages from us, both of us, messaging multiple family members, trying to tell them. Because at that point, it really looked like the death rate was between 1% and 2%. Now, we know now that it's it's come out to be like 0.4. And, you know, you can argue about whether that was that's a little bit of immunity or whether that's a bit of, you know, the hospitals have gotten better at treating it. But at the time, it looked like, based on what was happening in Wuhan, the death rate was 1%. And the transmissibility was high. Yeah. So we 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 started digging into you know epidemiology, understanding. Every week we were just forcing ourselves because the size of the risk seemed to dictate it. Yeah, and also we're coming at it from the understanding that well, the Chinese government's quite secretive. We don't know if we're getting all the facts. You know, they've just built a hospital in a week. Um, that's yeah. a bit. That's a bit concerning. There's only like 3,000 cases and yeah. they were already prepped to do that. So, you know, you've got to take all of this information on board, Yeah. Um, which luckily we did, but it was just like bizarre that no one else seemed to care. And especially because the thing you want to look for, like in investing is what Monish Pabrai calls, is, calls um, heads you win, tails you don't lose much. So you want to constantly take part in investments where the downside is capped and the upside is huge. And because the virus was spreading, it's basically compounding. You know, one person gets infected, they affect between two and four people, and then those people, you know, get infected and they infect between two. It's, it's compounding. It's, it's compounding. It's, it's, compound, it? it's just compound interest. So if there's one thing we understand, it's compound interest. So yeah, we decided for the first time ever, and probably I would say, I'd be very surprised if this happened again, to sell our whole portfolio. 
Um, and it was drastic, a drastic move, a drastic move, very kind of, um, it's the kind of thing you hear people doing. I don't know what they're doing. Most people don't recommend you do that kind of thing. I wouldn't recommend it. No, unless... I wouldn't recommend it. Looking back, I wouldn't have done the same thing. But we didn't know it was going to be a V recovery. Like no. The way the market reacted only a month or two after the drop was mental. We were not exactly. prepared for that. But also, just to put it in perspective, at this point in time, you'd been investing for years and years and years with our money. And I'd kind of... Well, I was still working full-time. You know, I I was sleepwalking through life, I would say. And you were always talking about these interesting things and I never took notice. I kind of, I took them on board because now I can recall like all the companies you were talking about and it's stuck in my brain, but I didn't process it and come up with my own thoughts right. or questions about anything. And so most investors are males. Yeah. Right. So I'd say to all the males out there, like, if you've tried to talk to your wife or partner about this and they're just not interested, just try a bit harder because if your partner can understand where investing can take you and how it can change your life and, and the control it gives you over your future, then you know, you're know you going to have a partner next to you helping you decide yeah, and helping you through the whole process because mm. they're just as much invested in their future as you are in yours because it's a future together. So yeah, I, I'm. What what's come out of the virus is actually been quite amazing. You know, as much as it, you can say a positives come from that virus, but um. Well, it's it's made it, you realise how two individuals who are trying to understand the world, which is what we're trying to do as investors, like on the most basic level, you're trying to understand the world, can take the information that's freely available that everyone gets. You know, we we don't have any inside information or anything and take that information and make a decision that then enabled us to retire and do this full-time together Yeah. only a few months later. And I wouldn't have had that if you hadn't started doing what you did 10 years ago and if I didn't pay attention at that point and, yeah. and start taking apart. So, yeah, I just say to, to any guys out there, just talk to your partner because... It is bloody interesting to a female's mind as well. How would you, how, what do you think the main trap that people get into when they're trying to have those conversations with their their wife that they um, fall into? Do you think that, that a lot of men probably try and talk down to their partners about it? Like they didn't, that that's what it is and you need to really you know explain what, Bobby? it? I really think um, a lot of guys don't fully understand the basics. Right. And so, if their partner was to ask them a question about something, they're probably scared that they're not going to be able to answer it well, yeah. in a simple enough, understandable way. And, and a... it, if that's your problem, you got to fix that first. <laughs> that's the, that's, that's okay. a problem. That's above our pay grade if, you got, if that's your problem. But, but I do, I get that sense talking to, to a few people that that would be the reason. Um, but if that's not the reason... Um, maybe you just need to frame it in a way where your partner actually understands the possible end goal. Yes, right. Of if if you sat me down and said, "Bobby, I know you're not interested in all this investing stuff, but I just want to let you know that if we make this percent return mm -hmm. for the next few years, you can quit your job and work with me full time. Yep. For the rest of our lives, as long as our returns are keeping up with our cost of living." We can live off that pool of money. And um, yeah, there's your life sorted. 
So just to let you know, are you interested in investing now? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I would have been like, uh, fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back yeah. to it. So this is well, this is yeah, no, January uh, it's 2020. A good, it's a good digression because it, I mean, it was a positive experience for us financially, but it definitely showed you that it can work. It showed you that, I mean, it's I, real. I was, it's it real. showed me it's real. Yeah, it can be done. Um, so yeah, so what, so what do we do is the question, right? So we, we sold everything. We, all our shares went straight to cash, allocated a small amount of money to gold. Um, the reason for that is just like a, they call it a hedge, kind of like an insurance policy is the way to explain it if you're not from an investing background. It's just to make sure that you've got money in cash and then the gold is also a different kind of cash, different basically. Different storehold of wealth. Exactly. Should anything happen to the dollar. <laughs> exactly. But then, then if we'd done that and nothing else, we wouldn't have even outperformed the market, no. really. The next step was as the situation developed and the virus spread through Italy and Iran and, and then made its way to America. Made its way to America. You know, we were able to understand that these countries didn't have no cases. These countries weren't testing for cases. And there was no government mandates or, no any, one was or ready. anything. No, no one, one was, was ready. ready. And I think the biggest factor for us seeing the risks unfold was that there was like a two-week period between um, mm. someone catching the virus and producing symptoms. So we're thinking, okay, there is a chance that every country around the world is two weeks behind this mm -hmm. virus and there is no way to catch up. So we need to think quickly, how is that going to affect the economy? And how, unfortunately, how can we uh, protect ourselves financially by making a return from it? Exactly. And that's, and that's not because you, you, you want to try and make money off morbid things, but it's simply because it seemed at this point that it was likely to happen. And anything that you think is likely to happen but the market thinks is not likely to happen, you know. That's an edge there. That, that, that's an edge and that's something that you need to, to work with. Yeah. So what we did was um, we took about 4% of our money and we bought in basically insurance contracts, which you can, which anyone can buy on any brokerage platform, um, interactive brokers or whatever you can. Uh, and we basically insured ourselves against the share prices of FlyCenter and Qantas going down. And we picked travel just because... We thought that, that that would be affected the most by like a, like a worldwide pandemic. They'll shut the borders and... Oh, there's so many other things we could have done oh my God. that I look back at now. But we were just kind of rushing. We, I was brand new into it. Yep. Newborn baby into the yep. world of investing. Looking back, I didn't understand options anywhere near as well as I should have or could have. You we know. weren't even set up for it on an interactive brand. No, no. We had no. to... Anyway. That's the other thing, right? <laughs> remember, remember, we, we we tried to buy options for the first time and it wasn't working. Oh my goodness! And then we had to get, and then we had to get into into ANZ at the time, who we were using. ANZ had to, you know, and go back and forth, back and forth. You know, we're in Australia, which is like there's no investors <laughs> around here. There's no one using any, you know, fancy databases or nope. or different platforms. Like we are like cavemen with stone tools <laughs> over here, people. And um, I didn't know a thing about mm. investing. And the first thing that we do is buy weird insurance put options, put, put <laughs> options contracts, you know, against companies we don't even own shares in. So yeah, so then then what happened was is is the virus really started to spread? Pretty much as we thought as we thought it would, um, it spread to every country. And then I think it was the start of March that everyone started to freak out. 
everyone started because we still didn't know how fatal it was. We still didn't know if it could be stopped. No information about vaccines. You know, this is looking back now, everyone knows, oh yeah, we got vaccines. Well, the, the fastest vaccine that had ever been developed was like five years before this vaccine, you know. So yeah, so we, we bought the insurance contracts and over a three-week period, um, those insurance contracts went from being worth 4% of our portfolio to producing a 66% gain um, or about 15 times our money. And that was in the space of a couple of weeks. Three weeks. Three and I was weeks. getting... <laughs> the way that was... So the way the insurance contracts were is... Um, we could have chosen to sell them any day. So every night it would come through at about 9.30. These aren't traded to you. You don't see the ups and downs of the share no. price. You just get a notification through an email. I've still got the email. Yeah, this is what it's worth you know, now. <clears throat> saying like, oh, this is what it's worth you know, now. And the swings were like huge up, yeah. huge down. And somehow we held for three weeks through March, we held those insurance contracts because... The situation was still getting worse. I had sort of decided in my mind that the best way to work out when to sell them or to, to get rid of them, you know, to cash in on the insurance, if you will, was to sort of wait until the share prices of the companies that I'd insured against had gone down to a point where I was ready to start buying them. And so Flight Center and Qantas both went down, I think, 70% in three weeks. And fortunately, that, that was at the point where I said, okay, look, this is starting to look like I could handle buying some of this stuff i didn't buy any of the stuff i wish i had i know me too if i just unloaded the insurance and then turned around and just bought those two stocks it would have been insane but at the time the risk in doing that that's the thing right like you want to be taking i only, t I only took a by selling the whole portfolio i don't think we took much risk really you know we perhaps we were going to miss out on a month or we two thought, of returns. at that point in time we thought okay if the market crash does happen it's going to be down for a long time. Therefore, we want that capital to play with mm. because there's going to be so many opportunities of what to, to buy coming out of this. But we thought we'd have time. Yeah, We didn't realize that the drop was going to occur and then it was going to recover within a, a month or two. Unprecedented. Even me coming into it as a newbie, I was like, people, just psychology-wise, You've got a, a, a brand new virus killing people. It's spreading across the globe. Yeah. People are going to take their money and they're going to put it in their accounts or into gold or like they're just going to go back to safety and we're going to be stuck hibernating for years. Yeah. That's what I thought. But it's not what happened. No. You had share prices going up, up or down on the day. The index up or down 8%, you know, in one day, depending on whether the news was positive or negative. So the volatility which is just, you know, how much things go up and down. The volatility was incredible. But yeah, we, we just, we, we, we sold out of the insurance and then I think a week later, the Fed came out and started to say that we're going to start pumping money into supporting some of these companies that have been damaged, you know, the airlines and other industries and we're not going to let them fail because mm. the question up until that point was, okay, <laughs> there's no one flying on planes. Is the government going to save these businesses? Mm. And it came out that they, they would. You know, they, they decided they would save those businesses and they would help them out. And, and that started the recovery, which which brought it all back. Mm. Um, we did pretty well in the buying. So we still, we managed to, I think... You did well. You, I didn't realize at the time, but you were still deploying our capital to buy like Berkshire and... You know, use. These quality businesses that were now trading at a discount. Yeah. I thought about it a lot. I thought about whether it would make 
whether we should go more towards the risky side of things, you know, maybe buy travel businesses or something. I'm so glad you didn't. Well, it would have worked out so good, but it's just the risk know, is there, right? Like, There's kind of this real comfort in knowing that you make a transaction, you buy something, and you are able to hold that thing for decades. Right. You can go on a holiday for a year and not have access to your portfolio, and that'll be totally fine. Yeah. Because you've got something, you're holding on to something that is quality and is long dated. Yeah. But yeah. You, you did well still buying stocks during that period and selling out at the right time. I think there was a lot of luck involved, but it was, you were bringing kind of your experience, experience to it still. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot we learned from that though. I think what the, the main lesson for me was never rest on your laurels. So like when we had made the money from the insurance contracts, I don't think I adjusted fast enough to treat that pool of capital as our new... As our money. Yeah, cause, because you're used to a certain amount of money being 10% of your portfolio or 20% of your portfolio and you, all of a sudden you've made a big chunk and you've got to readjust and you've got to be more aggressive and that's quite hard to change that um, mindset. And obviously understanding what I now understand about call options and stuff, I probably it would have made a lot of sense to just take four or 5% of the portfolio and just spread it across, you know, some, some really out of the money, long dated call options, which again, for those people who don't understand that, basically for a small amount of money, usually between five and 10% of the value of the share price, you can have the right to buy shares at a set price for the next year. So why would you do that? Well, if you think the share price is going to go up a lot, you can commit five or ten percent of your of the value of the share price to giving you the right to buy at a lower price. So if the share price does go up, you've got you know you'll make five or ten times your money because then you can then take that five percent. Um, it does. To- it does make sense. It's a bit <clears throat> complex, even for um, experienced investors. I yeah. think it seems to be another spot of like, oh, yeah. you know, too too difficult or too risky or it's not proper value investing or, or whatever. It's just yeah. a opportunity that you can take advantage of at certain points in time. And the, the beauty of it is that it requires less of your capital to put to work. And you and, and the way that we do it, your downside's always capped. So just like when you buy insurance on your car, you, you can never have to pay more to get your car insured if you have an accident. Like, you know, if your insurance premium is a thousand dollars and you have an accident well, that insurance premium pays off like 30x. <laughs> and if you think about it in like a purely financial terms, if your car your car's worth $30,000, your car crashes, you've got a $1,000 insurance policy, you know, all of a sudden you're getting $30,000 of value mm-hmm. for the paying $1,000. And you can do that in the stock market as well, both on the upside, the downside. So that would have been the way to do it, you know, because then you're limiting the amount of money you can lose instead of actually committing your capital. Because mm-hmm. I was straight away thinking in terms of, well, I've made all this money, you know, how can I avoid losing it? Yeah. Um, but but look, all, all things being equal, it worked out pretty well. We ended up about up about one hundred and fifteen percent for the year, which is obviously fantastic. That was really great. Definitely, it was a huge opportunity, and we could have done a lot better if we'd a lot better. You know, now yeah. we know now. But I think every investor, no matter how successful they are, would always say that. Of course. About every situation, you know, and like we'll you're just, trying to learn from it. We'll know for next time. And next time might be different. See, this is. This is the complexity with investing. Mm -hmm. The exact same scenario can happen with a totally different result. 
Yeah, what would have happened if the government, you know, let's say the government had been less pro-business and they'd been elected on a, a platform of not supporting Wall Street and big business, you know? If the government waits another month, you know, all the people who waited back in in March and April are looking very silly all of a sudden. So you can't be too critical, but, you know, it's, a, it, it's I think it's a lesson to be learned that always be as aggressive as you can, you know, no matter how well you've done in the past month or two months, you know, an opportunity, an opportunity with low risk and high upside is always got to be grabbed with both hands. Yeah. Well, yeah. No matter the environment, I guess. Just be aware of big macro factors as much as you can, but they shouldn't dictate taking an action that makes sense in every other aspect. Yeah. So yeah, now we invest full time and we live off kind of 4% as our living costs. Yep. If we make better than 4% a year, you know, we'll move forwards in our wealth. If we make less than that, we'll go backwards. Um, but it's on us. You know, it's like what Bill Brewster said. Mm. Well, we eat what we catch. Mm-hmm. Uh, we eat what we kill in terms of investing. Basically. If you got this far, thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed the conversation. Now, if you'd like to become my 22nd or my 43rd, follow us on Twitter. Links are in the show notes below. Anything else? Nothing to add.